Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning? Good. My name is Sean, and I'm the lead pastor this morning. And um, man, happy Memorial Day, almost Memorial Day, I guess, to you guys. Um, and it's funny, I, I know my brother, Chris, is my older brother. I know him pretty well. and. Uh, he almost got up here and said, don't drink and drive, but didn't want to offend anybody. So, um, so don't drink and drive. Um, hey, I'm going uh, to pray, and we're going to get started uh, as we go through, <clears throat> excuse me, every week it happens once, um, as we go through uh, the gospel of John together today. Pray with me. Father, you're good, and we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that it would impact us. Pray that our hearts uh, would be softened and opened. Um, God, as we realize that what we have here is not about us, it's not about what we've done and um, what we can accomplish, but instead it's about what you uh, are doing, have done, and have written for us. And so, God, I ask that you would uh, use your word now to move in us, God, to convict our hearts um, and to give us freedom from things that have held us back, that have hurt um, and that have kept us from following you with all that we have this morning. So be with us now as we open your word together. We love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in John 15 this morning. So if you want to grab your Bibles or open your phones or however you typically do that, we're not too picky and choosy here. Um, but Memorial Day is, is a beautiful day. Uh, as Chris said, our family is uh, very, very heavily military um, we've got veterans here in our church, even some active veterans. Um, I guess, does that make them veterans? Active duty, I guess. Uh, soon to be veterans. But uh, it, it's, a, it's an incredible day to be thankful for those people who have given us freedom, um, who have given their lives for the sake of our own liberties, um, and, and honestly, who have given themselves so that we could do things like this and assemble freely. Um, for there's, there's countries where you know people don't have that opportunity. There's Pastors who are being slain every day and jailed and thrown and forgotten and having families taken from them and churches shut down. And I think sometimes we lose the, the gravity of that situation that we actually have an opportunity to gather as we do. And a lot of that is for or because of folks who have given all of themselves for us. And when you come to church, there's one verse in particular that pastors love to preach Love to share. You'll see on every video. And it's John 15, 13. And some of you probably, I'm going to say the first half, and a lot of you are going to finish it under your breath because you know, no one wants to say it too loud and be weird. But just kidding. It's not weird. Um, but it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for a friend. And that's a beautiful verse. It applies well. But what I want to do today is I actually kind of want to go in and talk about what that really looks like before we just pluck and throw and say, hey, here it is. Um, it sounds really nice and it'll go well on a coffee cup or a picture frame. Because I, I think that's something that um, we as believers kind of miss sometimes. You know, there's every, every mom or grandma, if your grandma has Facebook and if your grandma loves Jesus, I bet that she has put a picture of Jeremiah 2911 on your Facebook wall at some point in time, Right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, not to prosper you, not to harm you, for your good, not for evil, right? Everyone's got that once or twice, and you're like, thanks, Grandma, that's sweet. 
And those of you who are biblical uh, scholars are like, thanks, Grandma, that's sweet, but it's totally out of context. I'm not actually in exile like the Egyptians or like people were in Egypt, but I'm doing okay right now. I just had a bad day at work, right? And so what I want to do is I want to apply that same truth to what we're talking about today. Um, because I think when we read this, my first thought when I hear greater love has no one than this and someone lay down their life for a friend, my first thought isn't like, wow, that's a really beautiful verse. My first thought is, so does that mean I'm not capable of like showing the, the most high amount of love to someone I care for? Like, Does it mean the only way I can really show love is by sacrificing myself? And so then, should I go and seek out opportunities to be martyred in front of my wife or something? Be like, I told you, remember John 15, 13, as I fall dead. And I don't think that's actually what we're supposed to learn here from Jesus. Because I think we are capable of achieving the fullness of love without consistently seeking out death for the sake of others. Um, but what I, hear, what I want you to hear today isn't a physical death. It's not a physical Sacrifice. I don't think Jesus was talking about that at all. But if you look in Scripture, it's full of imagery of death, right? Uh, as I was researching this, I found that Paul really likes the idea of death, of sacrificial death. You get a few verses from Isaiah here. You get a few minor prophets here. And then you have Paul who just talks about death all the time. And I was like, Paul, take it easy, buddy. But he's probably the one who faced death more often than not, more than anyone else in Scripture. In Romans 3, he says, the wages of sin is death. In Romans 8, he says, for if you live according to flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the body, you'll live. He later says, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Galatians 2 says, for I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? There we go, some of you guys. Some of you guys got that. Yeah, he who lives in me. Or Colossians 3 says, consider the members of your body dead to immorality, impurity, strife, anger. And in no way would I ever take away the, the, the heroic deed of sacrifice that some people have paid for us. I don't, I don't mean to make it seem incomplete or that it's not important, so please don't hear that today. What, what I'm striving to do, my only hope for you and I today is that we don't leave discouraged today. That we don't leave with thinking that we'll never measure up or be as good as someone else in Christ. That, that you're incapable of expressing the fullest measure of love. That you can do so apart from tragedy. That some people are called to that lifestyle, but, but you can still achieve the fullness of love and sacrifice of yourself for the sake of others. And my hope is that we'll find ourselves in this constant state of death to ourselves. And that we do so for the sake of other people. People who are largely unaware that we're doing it for their sake. I have two children, which is awesome. I talk about them a lot because they make me realize how much I'm not like Jesus, but trying to be more like him. And what I'm realizing is that as my kids get older, they're starting to kind of catch things a little bit of, you know, maybe some personality, maybe some social cues. But I started thinking about when they were younger. You know, when you have a baby and a one-year-old, two-year-old, they're, they're totally selfish to the fullness of their extent. Now, some might say, well, I have a 35-year-old, and he's also totally selfish. And that, I get that, and that's okay. But they have no idea of consequence. They, they have no idea that when, when they're up and screaming and tired and hungry, 
and you get up at 3 a.m., that you also have to be up at 6.30 to take care of normal life. Am I right, new moms? That, that when they cause problems, it's you dealing with all the things you have plus what they have to do. They have no understanding that there is consequence to them and that what you are sacrificing is out of love for them, but also for their good. And so we're consistently sacrificing, consistently sacrificing, consistently giving, consistently doing things for other people, and they may never realize it. My mom and I, every time I talk to her, I tell her I love her. She said, I love you more. I'm like, or I love you first, love you more. And I'm like, yes, I know that. I've recognized that truth because I've never raised a man up to the age of 35 and more. I've never had to look at my son and love his wife or his kids when it was hard. But as we continually sacrifice ourselves for others, as we see others kind of have the light bulb go off and grow and learn and see the sacrifice and then reciprocate the sacrifice, lives change. So what I want to do is I want to read the full context of this idea of what the greatest love is and see what Jesus had to say. Pardon me, so stick with me. This is John 15. We're going to start in verse 4. This is what Jesus says. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anybody's self-sufficiency starting to die a little bit here? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide then in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And then we have the full context of the statement, greater love has no one than this, than a man who gives his life for his friends. So there's three things that I want to get out today. Three major points I want you to be able to take home and think through as we consider this. Um, And the first is this, that sacrifice begins with relationship. Sacrifice begins with relationship. So here's what Jesus says in, in the very first three verses. He talks about bearing fruit, and he says it's impossible to bear fruit apart from God. Like right, I'm going to reread that little section. This is what he says. I'm not going to bend down. Abide in, you, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine and you are the branches. So, so here's what Jesus says. Like, our call and our purpose is to bear fruit, 
to do good things. He calls us the branches, but a branch apart from the vine is nothing, right? It sticks. When we got to the church, when we first got in this building, I remember walking around and being so excited and also so sweaty because the whole building was hot and there were lots of people running around. And then I just kind of went for a walk outside one afternoon. And I realized what had happened was the city of TR has their new building. So this is old city hall, if you guys are wondering, in police station, which is why our kids' ministry is so stinking secure. It's awesome. But I started walking around, and I realized that it wasn't just that it was unkept. It wasn't that grass wasn't cut. It was that they literally had forgotten to attend to the things on the property. So there were trees and branches down and stuff all in the parking lot. And there were just dead branches with withered leaves hanging and so I went down and pulled one. And you guys ever seen like the old kind of slapstick comedy when there's a thing on the ceiling and you kind of pull and they pull and then nine pounds of things fall on them, right? So that's what happened. I was in the back um, by our warehouse and I literally saw this big branch and I was like, I could just pull that. I can do this alone. No big deal, right? Terrible decision. We all know what's coming. And so I, I, I pulled real hard and the branch kind of like was tugging and I was like, that's weird. It looks pretty dead. It feels dead. And then I yanked. And as I yanked, the whole branch came and brought with it about 9,000 other little branches, smacked me in the head, and I was left standing in a parking lot with half of a branch this big, everything else broken, laying in front of me with a headache. All I could think was I'm glad no one saw that, because they would have been laughing and I would have been on video and it would have been terrible. But this is what Jesus is saying. It's, It's the same picture. He says, like, in order to do what it is you're called to do, in order to bear fruit, You have to be a branch that's stuck to the vine, a a branch that falls off of a tree that is outside of the life-giving trunk is worthless. And so what did we do with that branch? Stuck it in a pile, threw it in a bag, and took it to recycle. It's dead, burned, chopped, useless. And, and, And this is what Jesus is saying is, listen, the only way in order to bear fruit is to abide. If we want this fullness, right, everyone is after fullness in life, right? Everyone wants stuff. That's why we, I don't know, have Instagram and Facebook. That's why social media took off, because we get to see what other people are doing and think about how great it would be for us to do what they're doing, right? Every time you see somebody in a boat where the water is crystal clear and everyone's got these perfect bodies, and like, this is the most fun time ever, woo! I'm sitting at home, I have barf on me, my dog just peed over there, and I don't want to go to work tomorrow, and they're living their best life. And we think that's what fullness is. But here's Jesus saying, this is not what fullness is. Fullness begins by being a branch that is attached to the vine so that the branch can have fruit. And if we're not attached to that vine, we have have no opportunity. We are dead in the water. We are to be yanked out of the tree and thrown into the fire. Because the branch is fed by the vine, and apart from the vine, it loses its ability to bring life and purpose. Because a branch unattached cannot bear fruit. And I've, I've found that, and maybe you guys are like this as well, i found that when I'm struggling the most with my own sin, my own depravity, I, I have anxiety issues, like it's so stupid, I really hate it, but it is what it is. And, and I find that when I have the deepest worry and concern, when I have the most frustration, when I feel like I'm just in a bad mood and I don't know why, which never happens. I always have a very good reason for being in a bad mood. Um, You can ask my wife. 
I always find that when I'm struggling the most with my sin and my depravity, it's because I've actually removed myself from the vine. It's because I've allowed myself to be pulled away from the source of life and goodness itself. And so when I come home and I'm angry and my wife looks at me and she's like, what is going on? Nothing! It's not that she's upset me or that I don't love my children or that like I'm not tired. It's that typically that I have pulled myself from the source of the life that promises me fulfillment. And what happens when a branch is pulled from the vine? It doesn't yell or scream, right? It's not like, oh my God, that hurts! It pulls off, it's cast aside, and it dries, right? It dries up, gets stepped on, and it breaks. It falls apart, it loses purpose. And guys, what I'm trying to tell you is when Jesus says that, that sacrifice begins with a relationship. It's because if there's no relationship, no fruit can occur. Nothing can happen. And when I, when I talk to so many folks who come in and they share stories and where they are and they're hurting and they're struggling with things, typically I can ask the question of, okay, so when's the last time you went and just got on your knees and begged the Lord to meet you or read or went to a friend who loves Jesus more than they love you and said, hey, I'm struggling, and I need you to tell me what I don't want to hear so we can fix this. When's the last time you did that? You know what 99% of the time is? You know, what, you know what I hear? I don't know. It's been a while. And then what they, what they do is like they take the actual amount of time, and they cut it in half, and then cut it in a third and say that. right? I haven't prayed in three weeks, but really it's been like six months. I'm like, man, well, of course you detached yourself from the life. Of course you're having trouble loving your wife. Of course you're seeking things on the internet because you've detached yourself from what gives life. Of course you're concerned about money. Of course you're tired and worn out and you want to strangle your children and hope nobody finds out because you don't want to be on Dateline NBC in two years because you've detached yourself from life. And it's an old Sunday school joke that Jesus is always the answer, right? Growing up, that made me think about being in high school. I was a straight C student. So, yeah, that's what you're following right here. Thanks, Mom. Um, but I remember actually going through Scantron tests. Do, do, they, do they still do Scantron tests? Okay. I didn't know if I was too old now, you know? You're going through, and you're like, all right, here's this, here's this, here's this. And you get to a question, you have no idea, and you're like, all right, I've got four blanks. A, B, C, D, maybe E if your teacher was extra mean, right? And in my head, if you don't know, you always select what? C, right? Always select C. Well, let me tell you what I would do. I would go and I'd be like, oh, I always select C. And I'd go to put the thing down. I'm like, but I just had C, the two answers before that. But maybe I didn't know those. And maybe there's a pattern I need to look. And so I'd diagnose this entire Scantron, thinking way too deep. And then I'd be like, if I just studied with the intensity of what I'm trying to figure this out right now, I would know if it was C or not, right? Bubble C in kind of push through. But, but I think in Christendom and in the world that needs hope, that, that Jesus really kind of is always the answer. And I mean, even the Old Testament prophets, they, they would speak and they dreamed of days when the church would come together, they would make much of God and that much fruit would be produced. In fact, Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets ever, who wrote what I believe is one of the most incredible and important chapters in all of Scripture. This is what he says. 
This is Isaiah 27, but he said, In the days to come, the tribe of Jacob shall take root, and Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with spiritual fruit. Doesn't that sound great? Like, this is what Isaiah dreamed about. He said, my, my dream is that the line of Jacob, Jesus, that people in Christendom would go out and have such an influence that they would fill the world with fruit. And yet here's Jesus talking. He says, if you want to have fruit, then you have to be a branch that's attached to a vine because if you're not attached to the vine, which he is, then you're basically thrown out, withered, dried, and dead. He says the only way to fill it is to be attached to it. It's like we see that in relationship with our, our spouses and friends. We wonder why we don't have intimacy. And we want these end products, right? We want to have this marriage that people put on Instagram, like, I want to be like them. Jimmy, why don't you treat me like that? hope your name's not Jimmy. Um, but it's because we've removed ourselves from what gives life. And we've tried to make it happen. And then here comes Jesus in this hope for fruit, and he says, listen, find your sustenance and your lifeblood from me, the vine. And so, church, we have to realize the first step is that sacrifice begins with relationship. If we want our life and actions to look like Jesus, if we want our children to be kids that grow up who are not hellions who love Jesus, then we have to make it a point and priority to be attached to Jesus. Otherwise, we're selling them on something that we don't even know. You cannot leave a legacy that you do not define yourself first. It's impossible. The definition of insanity is when we all love. It's doing the same thing, expecting different results. But so many times I've seen people expecting different results and hoping they're going to go tell the right person, and I'm going to drop this big piece of knowledge you're going to put on Instagram and be like, wow, so wisdom-filled. The alliteration of three S's was beautiful. Now I have life. But the real answer is you need to attach yourself to the vine. Very simply, our natural state is not one of sacrifice. It is not one of fruit, but our supernatural state, if we are attached to the vine, is sacrifice. But it can only come when we are in direct relationship with the vine in order to bear fruit. So the second, the second thing, verse 7 and 8, let me read that to you. This is Jesus again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now this is where I have the biggest issue. Because I have very clearly asked Jesus for an eight pack many times. And maybe it's a surprise he hasn't given it to me yet. Right? I know, I'm sorry. My wife is shaking her head. That feels great. Just kidding, babe. But here's the second bit of how we actually achieve this fullness of love. It's that we have to know the difference of abiding in and being in proximity of Jesus. So you're in the South right now, right? Surprised I didn't hear any like curse words and amens coming out of people. Hallelujah. There it is. Thanks, Nick. 
We're in the South where everybody is a Christian, right? Everyone is a Christian or a hardcore atheist. There's no in between. We love Jesus or we hate him. Nothing else. Not in the South, not in God's country where Budweiser and trucks are through, through and through. But, but here's what we do. We don't realize the difference of abiding in and just being near. So one really common thing in this context in rabbi in rabbinic history was that you could tell a disciple of a rabbi, a future rabbi, that they would follow so closely to the rabbi that they would be covered in the dust they would kick up from their feet. So you could literally tell people who were following rabbis just that their clothes were dirty because they followed so closely in every single step with their rabbi, with their leader, that they would kick dust up on them, and that that was actually a sign of following, that your lower half, especially your feet and legs, were also dirty with what they kicked up. And, and I think that's such an important statement of the difference of abiding in Jesus and being just kind of near and close to him. In fact, you see Jesus says in verse 7, abide in whatever you wish will be done for you. Right? Who wants to sign up for that Christianity? Anybody? Let's all get baptized right now. Right? Yeah, if I went on a street corner and put that on a megaphone, all of TR that's having a late breakfast is here. Right? We're filling this place up. Jesus said it. Whatever you wish. Some of you guys are like, sleep. I wish for sleep. I wish for rest. I wish for money. I wish for stuff. But here's the, the rub of that. Here's why verses have to have context. Because when we follow Jesus and abide in him, what we wish for is not what we would have wished for. When I look at disciples, when I look at people who follow Jesus, I don't see any of them going, I think um, in order to love Jesus, what would really help me is if I can go and see him crucified and then deny him. And then later on in life, I'm going to get hung upside down and crucified myself. That's what I really wish. Or Paul, you know what I really wish? I really wish to follow Jesus so well, and he loves me so much that um, I get beat and left for dead multiple times outside of a city that he calls me to. See, we miss that. We read in the first couple chapters of Acts, we see Stephen, who's preaching this beautiful sermon upon getting saved, and then what happens? He's stoned and murdered because he was following Jesus, because he was abiding in Jesus. But in today's culture, what we see when Jesus says, hey, whatever you wish for, just ask, it'll be given to you. We're like, Lamborghini. That's what I need. I would love a million dollars so I could go on vacations and buy stuff, have someone clean my house. Amen and amen. That's the only reason I had kids. They would grow up enough where they could clean and mow the yard. That's it. That's my payoff. So it's a long investment. It's a long investment. No. But, but this, is, this is the difference between what a clubhouse is and a church. Is that as we grow closer to Jesus, as we abide in Jesus, as we are the branch getting life from the vine and having fruit, that's the difference of what happens is that we realize what we actually want and are called to are not the things that the world and everyone who doesn't know Jesus is trying to fill themselves with in order to be satisfied. That's the difference. That's why we see people who are at the pinnacle of life. 
have money, have fame, have status, have everything you need, and they are struggling with the exact same things that you are. One of my favorite basketball players, Kevin Love, plays with the Cavaliers. He had this amazing moment a year ago where he spoke out about mental health and anxiety, and you're like, this guy is a GQ model. He's got millions, bajillions of dollars. He plays in the NBA. People worship him and grovel at his feet, and he says that he is anxious about not being good enough. Is that anyone else? Anyone else been there before? And it's because we, when we follow Jesus, our desires and our heart change because what we thought we wanted isn't what we want anymore because we've realized that doesn't fill us up anyways, and it's worthless, and it's not eternal, and you can't take it with you. So what should we wish for? How do we abide in instead of being in proximity of? We should wish for a heart of knowing and following Jesus where we understand the acceptance is sacrifice. Where, where it's okay that we can live for others, for the sake of other people. Because anything here isn't worth it anyway. And I know this is a, an inconvenient truth. A lot of people who want to live in the... Uh, clubhouse mentality of church are not okay with that idea. See, we just give what we have a lot of instead of what we're called to. But giving what we have a lot of is not really sacrifice. If you have a lot of time and you're like, oh, I can go and give an hour to a soup kitchen, that's not sacrifice. That's just being a little open with what you have. But you're not called to that. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to abide. We're called to be connected to the vine so we can produce fruit, not to live just kind of average. But when sacrifice actually occurs, when we actually have sacrifice of ourselves, it's for the sake of others. And as believers, as people who follow Jesus, who are called to abide in him, not in ourselves, we give and we serve, not because we should, but because it allows others to experience what we've received. That the gospel cannot be a club slowly matriculating members in and being happy and comfortable. It has to be an open house that encourages other people into community. It has to be. Listen, I don't tell you that just because it's Memorial Day and we have a small crowd. I tell you that because however many times we can fill this room up on Sundays and Mondays and Saturdays and whatever is not enough. Because people need to know Jesus and need hope because they're struggling every day thinking they're not good enough. Every day. See, guys, here's my, my rub. Here's my conviction is that Jesus' sacrifice, when we honestly endeavor to understand it and to appreciate it, it cannot result in a lazy heart. It can't. When we, we honestly and earnestly seek what it is he's done, and when we live in that, when we are a branch truly attached to the vine, it does not allow us to be lazy. It can't. In fact, we'll evangelize why our football team is the best, right? Listen, all I have to say is, go USC, and I'm going to get tons of eyes from myself, too, because I'm a Clemson fan, yeah. Right? We fight over that stuff. We even insult people we don't know. My son picked out the biggest, baddest dude at Costco a couple years ago. Looked him right in the eyes. He was like 6'6", 275, straight muscle. 
He had a Michigan shirt on, and my son walked up to him and was like, ugh, Michigan. Michigan sucks. Right? And part of me was like, that's awesome. I turn around and see this massive human. I'm like, hi, don't kill me. And I'm realizing my son just put me into a fight. I'm not going to win. So I start using charm and wit to get out of it. Right? And I'm like, so hi, what's your connection? He's like, oh, I played football there. I'm like, oh, great. Awesome. How many years? Oh, four. Started. Linebacker. I'm like, awesome. I'm going to go die now. Here you go, son. Hope my life insurance helps you. See, we will say all kinds of things to people about football. But do we do the same for Jesus? We're great at allowing an amazing amount of grace. But what do we do when it's about Jesus? So instead he says we should abide in him first, not in proximity of him. And that comes with reliance. And that comes with receiving. Because God's God's glory is the natural outcome of an abiding heart. That's why he tells us so often. How many times have you heard the word abide in that moment? 16, I think. I counted. I forgot, though. Because when we abide in Christ, lives and eternities change. Addictions evaporate. Relationships are restored, hope is given, and when that impacts the city, crime rates drop, fatherlessness is gone, we break cycles and chains of young men who don't have fathers who are now doing the same thing and are now going to leave other generations of not fathers, but when the gospel impacts that and changes a city, then those cycles shift, and when those cycles shift, all of the world shifts. Fatherless, fatherlessness ends, relationship is restored, and community happens. Because abiding in Christ brings change unlike any other. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're here. If, if we're not, I've said this a ton, if we're not providing anything different, then we should close and go. We should give this beautiful space to somebody else. And probably pay for it. And let them come and do what they're going to do without that concern. But we are going to be different. The third thing is knowing the benefits of abiding in Christ. Verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken that you, or sorry, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. See, notice the pattern of what Jesus does here. The call is demonstrated. The call is modeled by how he says he follows his father and then calls us to follow him. He calls us to abide. He models to us how to abide. And then he calls us to follow his example. And here's the crazy part. Why? Why does he do that? What's the last part of that? These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Y'all, if you're tired and worn out and you're feeling like you're not fulfilled and that you don't have it, then you need to seek joy from the vine, not the branch. Because Jesus calls us, models, and then asks us to follow, and he says that his joy will become yours and your joy will be full because of it. Listen, we ask you to sacrifice. It's not for grief. It's not to bother you or to annoy you or to obligate you. I was watching a show last night 
and they're talking about like, oh, if they go to church, and it's a comedy show, and like, oh, you're going to go to church? You sound like a Christian. And the response was, nah, who's got enough money for that? And I was like, is that not the exact thought process that we have at church, though? See, loving, giving, and serving for the gospel is not for your annoyance. It's not for grief. It is so your joy may be full. I've met many rich people who have a lot of clout and a lot of authority, and they are miserable and tired and worn out. And you want to know why? It's because they've achieved all that they told would bring them joy, and they've realized that none of it does. None of it. You know what happened? We invited those people to come alongside us in our student ministry retreats. And hang out and see teenagers worshiping God together and living in community and laughing. And you know what every time would happen? I would try to hang out with students on the way back. And that one parent who I invited and stayed away from most of the time would come and sit by me and say things like, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this before. And I'm like, well, yes, because these guys have nothing to lose because their joy is here. Their joy is not in 401ks and what they have. It's not in that sustainability. They're sustained by what we do here, and that's why it's different. But the answer is in how we seek and experience that joy. It begins by acknowledging we have no control and that God has the fullness of that control. Because when we release it, we release the pressures of achievement. We release the the, the problem that makes ourselves our own idols. And that's what the entire passage is about as we dive into the famous verse. It is about full reliance, not partial reliance on him. Remember, Jesus says, whatever you wish, the fullness of our heart's desires will come to pass when they're filtered first by the gospel and then placed into our heart. Fruit that comes from a tree by a branch of a vine is only one type of fruit, right? An almond tree is not going to produce an orange. And if we want the joy that Jesus speaks of, the fullness, then we have to be attached to him, not in proximity of him. And we have to know that the benefit is that our joy will be his and it will be fully given to us. And it's only by one thing Jesus says, abide. Abide. The last part is this. And it's hot in here. That full submission is the key to abiding well. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And then this is the game changer. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, I've said that to my friends before. It doesn't work as well. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. So how do we show this love? We sacrifice to one another. We sacrifice to one another. We sacrifice for people who are out there toiling and trying to make it through. We sacrifice for people we may not yet know that God already does because his promise for joy is worth all the people who would come to him and know him. That's why we as a church, as believers, as followers who want this provision, that's why we have to do what it is he asks. It's not obligation, it's to achieve joy. 
and fullness. Full submission is the fulfillment of love. That's what verse 13 is about. Greater love has no one than this, than a man who will lay down his life for his friends. How do you do that? How can you possibly lay down your life? It is because you are in full submission. You can't be half submitted in the military, amen? Any military guys out there? You can't. What happens if you're in half submission in, in the military? Bye. You're gone. We don't have the opportunity, and here's the greatest part of it. Following Jesus isn't just being in the military. Following Jesus is someone who says, if you abide in me, I will give you the fullness of joy. If you just fully submit. So the question today is this, then. What are you willing to sacrifice for that? Are you, what does it truly mean to abide for you right now, today? I, I read this... Uh, I read this verse this week and actually sent it to our team and read it to our team this morning. It's in Mark 2. And Jesus is is found hanging out at a table with sinners, with tax collectors, with harlots and thieves. And all the rich, or I'm sorry, all the religious people, the Pharisees come, the scribes, the future religious people, and they say to each other, they say, what is he doing? Why is he sitting with the sinners? And I love that Jesus is God and man. And it says, Jesus, knowing what they were saying in their hearts, turned to them and said, I came to call the sinners, not the righteous. If we are truly in, then sacrificing is a worthwhile struggle. When you look at people who are in the military and you tell them, like, hey, do you understand what could happen Their response is never like, yeah, I'm terrified of it. Their response is, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm okay with that because I know what I've signed up for. Am I right, Nick? I've never met anyone, anyone who served in a selfless role like that and said the reason was that they could die and become a hero. I've never met anyone like that. I've never met anyone who I'm like, wow, thank you for your service. Like, thanks, hopefully you'll read about me in the newspaper in three weeks for some heroic act. Nobody, nobody does that. No one says that. In fact, the only ones who do, because I guess I'm talking on both sides of my mouth, the only ones who do, um, every military friend I've had has told me those are the guys who just talk big game and do nothing. Am I right? The posers, the weak, the cowards. And so here's Jesus sitting at the table with sinners the fullness of self-sacrifice for God who came down as man and as a rabbi and authoritative teacher is sitting amongst the people who have no place in church. And as the religious come, he says, I came for them, not for you. My sacrifice is for them, not for you. For the sinners, not the righteous. Church, this is why we serve. This is why we give. It's not obligation. It's not so we can have more nice stuff. It's because we have people who need hope in this city. It's why we love, why we have the opportunity to do things that don't make sense to people who don't know Jesus. Because one day we hope that they will. Because we abide in the vine. And he produces fruit. And our joy is full. Verse 14 and 15 continue. We see two things occur. The first is that Jesus displays the action of affection. 
and 15, he does something wild. He says, you are no longer my servants. You're my friends. He shares sacrifice. He shares vulnerability. He shares mission. And that's what friendship and community mean. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, my hope is this, that that you would not limit your own calling to one that's not full in love, that you would not disqualify yourself, but that you instead would challenge your own limits of self-sacrifice in how you love and how you serve and how you give. And that you would do so knowing that the vine has asked you to abide in him and has promised to give you everything that you need. In the moments where you think you cannot survive The vine says, draw near and abide in me and I will give you what you need. And you can put hope in that promise. His greater love has no one than this than someone that laid down his life for his friends. Church, the greatest love of all is that Jesus laid down his. And in the midst of that sacrifice, he calls you and me, he calls us friend. You who are in conflict with him. You who are actively against him within your own flesh, selfish and fighting for yourself. Romans, Romans 5, 8 says that while you were still, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So knowingly enemies, God made us right and whole. And friends. And now you have been redeemed and he calls you his own. On Mother's Day, we talked about that. He says, that you are a a diadem, a royal gem in his hand. And so now, as we close, it's time for us to do the same. Listen, we we do want you to serve. And I don't want you to serve in the opportunities that we have because it looks good or because people will put us on social media and talk about how great, I don't want, that's not why we're doing any of that. I don't want you to serve that you can get anything out of it. There's an unpopular statement. (laughs) I want you to do it because Jesus promises it will bring you full joy when the gospel is displayed in your action and to those who are dying for hope. I don't want you to give financially because it's a begrudging obligation. In fact, the tightest hands give the least amount. I want you to give openly because through it we can collectively change the trajectory of this city. It's, it's not so I can line pockets or so we can buy Aiden a nice guitar because it already is nice. Maybe so we can buy him a new hat, but just kidding, buddy. But it's that when we come together and when we give sacrificially toward one thing together, we can do incredible things for the gospel and blow people's mind when they see how they can be loved. I don't want your money. I don't need it. Well, kind of, but I'll just get another job. It's fine. It's not for that. It's so that we can see God change lives so the gospel can go out from here and do incredible things. And I don't want you to love and live in community because you feel like you should or husbands, because your wives want you to. Let's be real, right? Most guys, when they talk about going to community groups, they're like, oh, God, there can be other people there. It's okay if I drink beer, yes. 
No, I want you to be in community, not because you feel like you should, but because together we are called to walk well, to support well, to celebrate well, whether that's trial or victory. Because we're built for relationship, and that's what God says. Jesus' whole statement here is to abide in him, be in relationship, so that you would produce fruit. So church, yes, I want you to serve, absolutely. In fact, if you love kids, we could use you. There's training today at 4 o'clock. You can come here and be trained and see if you even want to hang out with our kids. We'll love for you to be there. I'll even buy you dinner afterwards, whatever. I want you to serve because I want you to meet people. I want you to enjoy this community. I want you to give because together when we all give and we do it sacrificially, everything changes. Everything changes. not that no one can afford Christianity. It's that we can't afford not to love Jesus in that way because that's how we love others. But a tight fist is also a tight fist in relationship. And I don't want you, or I, I want you to join our small groups, our community groups as they start in a few weeks. Not because I think it's good to have people in community groups and we can talk about how many people but because I want you to know from, my, from, from your pastor's heart, from my depth of my heart, that there are people in this room who are in my group who I've shared life with and who've shared with me, and we are tight. And we know that when life hits and it stinks and it's really hard, I can pick up the phone and call him. Say, hey, dude, I, I, just, I just need, I don't know what I need. I just need you to tell me what I need to do. And my wife can call her. I can walk six doors down to his house. I can pick up the phone and call him or him. Because that's what happens when we abide. Church, I don't want you to serve. I don't want you to give. I don't want you to live in community. I don't want you to love out of any obligation. I want you to do it because Jesus says if you abide in him, he will give you the fullness of joy. That's what I want for you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to give us the fullness of joy, to desire that for us, that you don't forget us, that you're not absentee, but Lord, instead that you offer us the opportunity to be a part of something greater than us. That is, we saw five people get baptized just a few weeks ago. We've seen 18 people profess faith in you in this church, in this building, that that's just the beginning of hope maturing in people's hearts. And so, Father, I pray, God, I pray that you would help us to serve well. I pray that you would help us to give sacrificially. I pray that you would allow us to live in community with also sacrifice and vulnerability. Not so we can have stuff, but so that we can know the fullness of what it means to abide in you, to be a branch connected to a vine. And as you produce fruit, we will give you all the glory. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It is in your name we pray alone and find hope alone and find life Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church 
or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.